0: Well, good morning, folks. We are at about 9:35 here, running a little bit behind, but that's fine. The roads are snowy, and people will trickle in. That is great. Let's uh, let's open in a word of prayer, and I'm going to get started here. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you now once again through Jesus Christ the Savior and even through his shed blood and even by the power of your Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you for another Lord's Day. Thank you that we can gather together as believers and be uh, encouraged uh, in the gospel. Father, we come from uh, busy schedules, uh, different stresses uh, in our lives. Father, we just come to you for help even now and just ask that you would... Uh, settle our hearts and our minds, even as we consider your word, even as we consider, continue to consider this topic of discipling. Father, grow a culture, continue to grow a culture of discipleship uh, in this church uh, for the uh, good of your bride and for your glory, Uh, for we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we are on class five of discipling, class five. And there is a handout this week so you can see um, class five is specifically discipling in the local church. Discipling in the local church. So last week we considered the goal of discipleship. And the, the thing that we really zeroed in on uh, was um, the goal is really encouraging one another in our growth in holiness specifically. Um, as evidenced by greater obedience to God's revealed will we could even see say greater obedience even to God's commands Jesus says if you love me you will obey my commandments so this morning there are two uh, specific questions we're going to turn to Uh, and those questions are this what venue is best for establishing discipleship relationships and second how do we get started So one of the main assertions today is that um, it's in the context of the local church that is the best place for probably most discipleship relationships. That's going to be one of the main assertions this morning. Now just to say at at the outset, what I'm not saying is that it is wrong or sinful to be in discipleship relationships with other believers outside of your church. That's not what I'm saying. Um, Many of you are probably part of or have relationships like that outside of the church. That's not wrong. That can be very good as well. But the focus this morning is going to be specifically discipling in the local church and even making an argument for uh, um, sort of this assertion that the the best context for discipleship is in fact your local church. That's sort of where we're going this morning. And you can see on your handout there um, 10 reasons to disciple in the context of the local church. So this is basically the body of, of the lesson this morning. 10 reasons, and there's going to be three uh, points after that for how to get started. So let's just dive right in here. Reason number one, why disciple in your local church? Well, first of all, because God has called the, the church to be pure. God has called the church to be to be pure. So let's just flip to Titus chapter 2 here. We're, we're going we're to be bouncing around a little bit. It'll be better, uh, I don't think you have these verses in your handout, so it's going to be good to have these passages um, in front of your eyes so that you can see them yourselves. Titus chapter 2. Titus 2, 11 to 14. It says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, So it is in part through discipleship relationships that we help other Christians grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ and grow in holiness, in purity. This is a great part uh, or reason why Jesus came into the world, to secure for himself a people, to to purify for himself a people. So in other words, when we labor in discipleship relationships, In the context of the local church, um, we are are attaching ourselves to Jesus' mission, which is to uh, gather to himself and to purify for himself a people for his own possession. So what that does then, what discipleship does then, is it enhances the corporate witness of the church, even to the watching world. So this should be our desire for our local church even here. And um, yeah, just pray to God that we we could be a shining example of God's holiness and transforming power even in this context here of the church. So that's reason number one, because God has called the church to be pure. Reason number two, because you do not have every spiritual gift. So this is basically based off of... Um, 1 Corinthians 12 and other passages we're not going to go there but just uh, consider th- this reasoning um, part of the beauty of the local church is it actually balances out your own weaknesses and lack of certain gifts uh, being a source of spiritual encouragement for others is normative for the Christian life but we have areas we all have areas of weakness And spiritual blindness that other people will fill in right in other words you don't have as an individual Christian you don't have the full package as it were for discipleship Um, when our discipling relationships are rooted in the community of the local church there are others in the relational mix that help balance out and fill out where we are lacking where we're even lacking for for what we're able to offer one another our brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, so, just a question Do you hesitate or engage in discipling relationships because you are timid or perhaps fearful of maybe failing or something like that? Are you hesitant to in de- engage in deliberate re- discipleship relationships because you feel like you lack skill or wisdom in the ability to do so? I think if we're being honest, probably all of us would want to say yes, right? Um, Well, there's good news for us. God knows that you are not sufficient for the task. He knows that. It's by his design. In his kindness, he has given us the church, and the church as a whole is sufficient for the discipleship of his people as everyone plays their part and speaks into the lives of one another. So when you disciple within within the context of the local church, you are acknowledging that you don't have all of the wisdom and encouragement that your friend needs. That's part of what is going on there. But you realize that the church as a whole is given every good thing that is needed for the task of discipling. It's a beautiful thing. God has not promised to give every gift needed to encourage and build up others to individuals. Um, this is a promise that he has made to the whole church. So you don't have everything that your friend needs. What that means is your friend needs a church. We all need a church. And even we can say under God's sovereignty, under God's providential care for us, we need this church. He's, he's brought us here together, even at this church at Calvary Grace. So reason number two to disciple, to focus on discipling in the local church, because you do not have every spiritual gift. Number three, because a church provides better and greater accountability. So in the church, we find a network of relationships with people who know us. All, they, they, it's sort of a different angle or perspective that people will have on us, right? They'll be able to see our shortcomings, our weaknesses, even encourage us in our in our uh, giftings and so on but but it's basically having different sort of angles on each other and not not in a um, sort of anal or a nitpicking way but rather just being able to uh, we're known better by the whole if that makes sense right so you can even consider this um, this this web of relationships as forming sort of a spiritual safety net um, for our growth, for our good. So in that then, we will be helped in hard times and in joyful times um, through this network of relationships rather than just simply trying to be a Lone Ranger Christian. So realizing that the church exists in part for the very purpose of increased accountability the church is structured not only for the love uh, with the love of Christ, but also his corrective authority. So, so some of you folks are familiar with the Matthew 18 passage, for example. Uh, Jesus there is actually directing his church how to act with one who does not repent of his sin or her sin, sort of in, in a, um, even in a habitual unrepentant way. Matthew 18 leads us there. Jesus is leading us through how to deal with an unrepentant person there. So we should realize in all humility that a group of people in a community can know a person better than we can know them ourselves. That's what we see there. If you meet with a friend uh, from work once a month for coffee, there are going to be, that's great, but there's going to be serious limitations as to how well, you can really get to know that person. Um, It could be easier for them to hide or for you to just miss significant areas of struggle or sin in their lives, right? But it's much harder to hide and to sort of fake it, as it were, in the context of the local church when there are these meaningful relationships, meaningful conversations, um, accountability, and so on. So in other words, there's a better chance that the mix of relationships will provide a depth and texture of insight that results in better accountability and protection for one another. So that's reason number three, because a church provides better and greater accountability. Reason number four to focus on discipleship in, in the local church, because you have a limited amount of time. This is a really important point, um, and I'm just increasing the uh, Understanding this and recognizing this, the older I get. Um, Some passages to check out here. I'm not going to go there, but Ephesians 5.16, 1 Corinthians 7.29. We're all challenged by the fact that life is short and our time is precious. So just think about the demands that um, you all have on your lives. Maybe it's the demands of your job. Spouse, children, relatives, church ministries, evangelism, and then you try to add into the mix sort of these meaningful discipleship relationships that I'm, that, that, that I'm talking about here. Um, well, I would just encourage you, and I've, I've mentioned this before, but I'm sort of circling back around to it. Think about some of the ways that the ministry of the church you can expand upon those in your own discipleship relationships. So I've talked about this before, right? You're, you're sort of using the content of the sermon or the content of this Sunday school um, in order to sort of be the content of your discipleship relationships. This is a great way to maximize your time and still be fruitful in the lives of others in the church. And what it does too is it actually gets us sort of thinking and pondering and meditating upon the same truths right one of the things that we focus on here is even the word heard together right so we're all sort of focusing on the same passage even as Pastor Clancy be taking us through the Gospel of Mark the Bible studies here are going through Philippians right now Um, so it's a good thing to sort of zero in on the content that is already provided by the church So in other words, you don't need to plan and prepare your own little Bible study to get together with someone. Um, Why not allow the public teaching of this church to help you grow and shape a fellow brother or sister in Christ? It's a great way to go about it. So reason number four, because you have a limited amount of time. Reason number five, because God is glorified as the body grows together. God is glorified as the body grows together. Individualistic Christianity, Lone Ranger Christianity, is an oxymoron. You will not find that category of a, of, of a churchless Christian in the Bible. You were never meant to live the Christian life alone, and this should be a great encouragement. This should be a great encouragement. If you feel that you are growing in maturity as a Christian, while you ignore those around you, I would challenge you that you are not as mature as you think you are. We were made to be together. By God's design for our growth, our lives are meant to be tethered to others. So just think about the disproportionate growth of the guy who, you know, think about the gym rat who loves working out his upper body but he never works out his legs, right? So he's a ripped beast up top. He's walking around on chicken legs. There's disproportionate growth there, right? Well, it's the same thing when you're not plugged into the local church, right? And, and you're not engaged in these meaningful relationships. There's, there could be saving faith there, right? Uh, but there's going to be disproportionate growth. And it's by God's design, he would have us grow together and he's actually glorified in that so as you grow your growth actually spills over into the into the lives of others and god intends for us to mature together as a community growing together in greater christlikeness we need each other we don't want to be trying to run the race alone <clears throat> I think I'm going to keep going here. I'm going to try to make time for questions at the end. Uh, reason number six, because building up the church is what you were gifted to do, believe it or not. You might say, no, 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 no I, don't, I, I don't have anything to offer. Well, guess what? If you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. God has given you gifts that you are to use for the building up of the body especially to bless and build up the local church. Again, you can speak into the lives of other believers outside of the church, 100%, that's great. But, but the Holy Spirit has actually specifically gifted you to pour into the lives of others in this church, to build up this body. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 4-7 says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit... And there are varieties of ministries in the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. That's the NASB. A little bit of different wording there maybe than you're used to. Let me just say it again. To each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Again, notice sort of the... the um, Collectivist thinking there. Collectivism in a good sense, not not a not a communist sense. Uh, 1 Corinthians fourteen twelve, Paul tells us so. With yourselves, since you since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. So obviously, as soon as you go to First Corinthians fourteen, we're we're getting into. Um, uh, sort of um controversial territory because now we're st- starting to talk about the spiritual gifts right and there's all sorts of debate around continuation of spiritual gifts and so on at this church we would be cessationist we would not understand the sign gifts to be um continuing or normative for the life of the church in our day but rather for the apostolic age but nonetheless first corinthians 14:12. what does it specifically say about manifestations of the spirit We are to strive in them to excel in building up the church. This is the Apostle Paul's focus time and time again. It's for the edification of the body. It's for building up the church. So that's reason number six, because building up the church is what you're gifted to do. Reason number seven, because discipling is a primary way to show love for Christ and for his church. If you're looking for a way to show love to God's church, if you're thankful for the way God has used this church to impact your life, I can think of no better way than to intentionally set out to bit, to pour into someone else's life for their spiritual good, even in even in this church. If we looked at John 15 uh, 12 to 15 earlier uh that's the vine and the branches passage there jesus uh tells us how he loved us by laying down his life calling us his friends and revealing the father's will to us right and we looked a couple weeks ago about how as christians now we are to reveal the father's will to one another through his word specifically right through his word so we're to be pointing one another to the truth of god's word and even how to apply it to our lives. This is, this is a loving thing to do. Uh, remember 1 John, 4, 9, uh, 1 John 4, 19 to 21, we love because he first loved us. If someone says I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him that the one who loves God should love his brother also. That's the NASB again. So in other words, if you truly love God, you will love God's people. You will love God's people. If you claim to love God and yet you hate your brother, you are a liar. That's what First John is telling us. So this is strong language. Um... But it's true, love for Christ and love for his people are inseparable. You, cannot, you can't separate them out. So you discipling in your local church is a way to demonstrate to others that you truly love God. That's reason number seven. Uh, reason number eight, because church-based discipling seems to be the assumption of the whole New Testament. And this is a, this is a very strong argument. Uh, consider Hebrews ten twenty-three to twenty-five, and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So notice the connection then between stirring one another up and meeting together. Again, you can't you can't separate the two out. Um, Pretty much every epistle in the New Testament was written to specific local churches to encourage mutual spiritual growth. So you can just go down the line. I'm just going to give a couple examples. First and second Corinthians uh, were written to the Christians in Corinth to discourage uh, factions among the members. To command sexual purity in the church. There was all sorts of sexual confusion uh, in, Corinth, in the Corinth that bled into the Corinthian church. Um... It was also written to them uh, for instructions to how to, to conduct orderly congregational worship. Again, for the edification of the body. That's what you see in the Corinthians. And even to clarify the importance of Christ's resurrection, think of 1 Corinthians 15, that classic chapter, a beautiful chapter on the resurrection. Uh, Galatians was written to, to the, the, the Christians in Galatia to, to help them to fight off legalism. attacks on the one true gospel. The Judaizers were leeching their way in, or or weaseling their way in, rather, uh, into the church in Galatia. So Paul had to write to them, and again, it's the specific church there in Galatia. The pastoral letters, uh, the Timothys and Titus, were written to help them better teach and encourage believing Christians in the context of local churches in Crete, and in Ephesus. So each epistle then assumes that discipleship and growth takes place in the context of the local church. That, that That's the context in which the vast majority of the New Testament was written, if you think about it. Um, so church-based discipling seems to be the assumption of the whole New Testament. That's reason number eight. Reason number nine Because church-based discipling displays unity in the midst of diversity. So a great passage for this is Revelation 5, 9 and 10. This is something I talked about at length in the Living as the Church passage. But essentially the gist of it was that by God's design, he has called people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. From all different backgrounds, right? Ethnicities, hobbies, interests. And he has brought people together that normally would not like each other. Normally, we should be fighting and sort of at each other's throats if we are to sort of just um, carve ourselves out into sort of natural affinity groups. But by God's design, um, through our common bond and salvation in the gospel, we love one another, even with all of our different backgrounds. And that strengthens our Christian witness as we show unity in the midst of diversity. Um, Again, you want to explore that more. I I talked about that at length in the Living as the Church course, uh, mostly before Christmas there. Reason number 10, because the church is most healthy when it has a whole culture of discipling. So discipleship can certainly take the form of a program, but this is largely not what we see in the scriptures. Rather, it seems the picture that we see in the scriptures is it's actually more organic, but we could say it is intentional. So it's, it's intentional, but not necessarily structured. Another way to think about it is it's deliberate, but not clearly defined. Deliberate, but not clearly defined. So in other words, there, there is quite a bit of flexibility and freedom as to what it can look like. The language of Scripture does not revolve around organization or management theory, so we're not running a corporation here. We're not a for-profit business. This is one of the major um, uh, faults of the seeker-sensitive church, right? It's using a corporate model to try to to try to grow the people of God, and it's it's very worldly. So it doesn't revolve around organization or management theory, rather it it revolves around love. Discipleship revolves around love, God's love for us and our love for others. So this is very much what the elders here at this church are wanting to encourage. And and I think very much what we see in, in this church, but we all can be growing in it, I think you can have a joy you can have the joy of being part of this and like i said many many of you already are so not a discipleship program but a culture of discipling a loving network of relationships where it's normal for gospel partners uh, and even attenders to be brought into these relationships for for one another's spiritual good Um. So just a few points to consider on this reason 10. Um, we want to be growing a culture where people don't need to sign up for anything or be recruited or get permission before they establish these relationships. You don't need permission. You don't have to come as the elders if you want to uh, hang out with another brother or sister in Christ and try to encourage them. There's freedom there. There's freedom um, there where members just understand that it's good for them to meet for lunch or coffee and talk about spiritual things. I mean, that's one of the things that really struck me in coming to this church just from my own sort of church background that I grew up with is there are intentional conversations that are just so encouraging. Oftentimes, when you meet with other Christians, a lot of the time conversation can just sort of, sort of get stuck at a pretty surface level, right? But we want to be, be going... Deeper, again, for our mutual encouragement and edification. So so this mutual encouragement, then, should be a normal and basic ministry in the church when Christians get together. Uh, We want to grow a culture where accountability and transparency are strategized about and delighted in as good gifts from a loving and wise God. Again, God loves us enough to not leave us where we are, but to see to our growth and maturity. So it's a mark of a maturing disciple then to want to encourage that in others. So how do you get started then? Well, those are the 10 points. I know that I've sort of rattled those off pretty quick, but I, I wanna try to make time for questions at the end here. How do you get started? Uh, we got a who, when, and what. Uh, so who will you invest your time in? When will the two of you get together? And what will you be doing during that time together? These points are going to be pretty quick. Who? Who should you invest your time into? Um, well, there's a number of things to consider here. Who do you know at Calvary Grace? Who do you think you might be best be able to encourage? What are the greatest needs in the church? So if you see sort of some type of, what seems to be some type of, glaring or a gaping need in the church, you actually might be the person to fill that. It's a very common thing for folks to come to pastors and recognize a problem. And the response sometimes is, well, if you've recognized it. Maybe you should try to do something about it. Right? God, God has empowered you to do that, perhaps. Um, I would say one of the best things to do is simply to work deliberately to establish relationships with people here at the church. Look for new folks, right? We got all sorts of new folks pouring into our doors. It's an amazing opportunity. I've been amazed at, over the last few months, just having the, having the ability to evangelize the person sitting next to me, right? Who is very new to Christianity, who might not even be a Christian. So the opportunities are all around so strike up a conversation on, on Sunday morning. I would say volunteering is a great way to get to know people. Um, consider joining a community group or a Bible study. You can let the elders know that you're interested or, or, or wanting to try to establish a one-on-one relationship and we may have suggestions of folks that you could contact. So feel free to approach any of us about that. So at the end of the day, there's no black and white answer as to who exactly you should meet up with. Again, there's, there's a f- flexibility and freedom here. I would say, just sort of like the old uh, Nike commercials, just do it, just do it. Um, so that's who, when. When should you meet up with this person? Well, again, this is largely going to depend on your, your schedule, your context, your, your work life. There's a number of factors there. Um, it should try, you, you should try to be often enough to allow for helpful and meaningful accountability. So in other words, if you're only getting together with someone every two to three months, it could be a challenge um, to sort of be able to have regular input into their lives for their spiritual growth. But I, I would say even that, if that's all you can manage, that's great, and just try to catch up when you can. Um, if possible, you probably want to try to shoot for every couple of weeks or maybe even once a month if possible. Another thing to consider too is you might not necessarily want to leave it open-ended. You might just want to establish, okay, for the next um, six months, we're going to try to go through this book together or something like that. You don't necessarily want to leave it open-ended. Um, and then there's there can sort of be expectations or perceptions that it ought to go on forever. So that's when. What about the what? Um, so again, I think this might be maybe the most challenging or or most anxiety-inducing thing to consider. What are you going to talk about? What 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 are you going to do? Uh, well, again, like I've I've said many a time, um, use the content of the church that we're already going over. Right? Talk about the sermon. Talk talk about uh, this Sunday school. Even go through a good book together. Um, please make sure it's not heretical. Because that's not going to be very good. But there is no required curriculum or book to go through. Right? This isn't a program that you're sort of going to be, like, forced through and spat out at the other end. And now, you're, you know, you get your, your piece of paper or whatever it is. It's an organic thing in the life of the church. So what a wonderful blessing, then, that the local church is for us, for believers. Living life together as the church provides an opportunity to be fruitful in others' lives. So we're committed, then, being surrounded by brothers and sisters in Christ, we're committed to seeking each other's spiritual good for our joy and God's glory. When you become a member... You sign up, you sign the covenant that says we will work together for the welfare, for the welfare of one another. That's what's going on here. Um, So in summary, we're not arguing that other discipling venues are wrong, but that the primary way that God has provided for the growth of you and others, your brothers and sisters, is through the network of relationships in the local church. So out of our love for Christ and his church, this should be your primary focus for discipling, the people with whom you have covenanted together with, for our mutual growth and edification. I'm just going to share one verse, and then I'm going to open it up for questions here. First Thessalonians 5, 9 to 11. Let's just flip there. First Thessalonians 5, 9 to 11, just so you can see it for yourselves. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9-11, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Now notice this. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. I think that's a very fitting verse here, brothers and sisters, as, as um, you all are, we all are, engaged in this work. So we've got a few minutes for questions here before we can close. Brenda, did you have a question? Reason nine. So reason nine was because church-based discipling displays unity in the midst of diversity. Is that matching with your hand out there? Yeah, I guess the handout says, because God is greatly glorified in church-based discipling. Um, I may have tweaked the heading in my own notes. But that's, that's sort of the, 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 it's the idea of unity in the midst of diversity that I sort of talked about at length in um, the last Sunday School class, Living as a Church. Any other questions? Steve? yeah that's a great question so thoughts about discipling someone so are you talking about sort of committing to stay in a not so healthy church to sort of um try to change provide change from within is that sort of the gist of it yeah that's an excellent question very relevant to our day i would say over the years i have had friends who have tried to stick it out at not so healthy churches to sort of be changed from within and I don't want to sound cynical or discouraging, but I would say, by and large, you end up banging your head against the wall. Um, because change happens from top down. If the leadership doesn't change, I'm sorry, you're not going to change the church. You're just not going to. Um, because God's, by God's design, um, the church is led by the leaders, whether, whether they're leading well or not, right? Right? So, I mean, I can think of friends who have stuck it out at at not-so-healthy churches for 10, 15 years, and eventually they did leave, and they went to healthier churches, and now they absolutely love it, right? So, it's very difficult to try to, I don't don't think you can actually change a church if you're not um, one of the pastors, just to sort of put it bluntly. Yeah, follow-up? Yeah, feel called to stay. Yeah, that's tricky. I mean, I, I, I would try to whet their appetite for uh, better feeding. I mean, the challenge with, with, with folks from not-so-healthy churches is they, they're starving and anemic, but they might not recognize it. So you've got to try to whet their appetite for, for, for sound doctrine, sound theology, good preaching. Because that's, that's, that's what true sheep want, right? Uh, so, and once they've tasted that, the challenge, I would say, is if you're just used to sort of eating um, mush, you, you get used to that and you don't know what you're missing. So they, they need to sort of experience a real meal. And then after that, they're, they're hopefully going to want more. <laughs> um, the calling piece, though, is tricky because in our day, there's a lot of mysticism in the church, too, right? So people will say, well, I've been called to this or that, and it's sort of God's stamp of approval, right? Who are you to tell me otherwise? Well, you want to you wanna test your own sort of personal calling against the scriptures. Rene? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great question. So if you're going to look at at your own resource, you're going to go look at a book together with a friend, with a brother or sister in Christ. You probably want to run that resource by an elder. That's sort of what Rini is asking about. I think, I think that's good. I mean, I know all sorts of, I mean, I've got stories, too, of just folks. I, I know someone who came here uh, because the church she was going to, it was a straight-up false teacher, prosperity preacher. And, and she came to me and said, Rob, this, there's something off about this book. And I looked at it, and yeah, sure enough, I mean, he was, he was a straight-up prosperity preacher. So, and, and eventually she actually started coming here. So, and in that church, the, 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 the pastors weren't even aware of the book that they were looking at. And that actually wasn't a one-on-one. That was actually a, a, um, a book study sanctioned by the church. But the pastor was not aware of it. So, yeah, I, I think you want to run, run that by us. But, again, I mean, there, there's, there's a whole host of amazing resources, right? So, I think I should probably close. Um, so, we can get ready for the main service. Got any other questions, please feel free. Let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a wonderful gift it is to be part of a local church, and not even a local church, even this local church specifically. Father, what a gift from your side. We recognize the goodness of your design for our mutual growth and edification and even for your glory. Father, would you be honored even through this local body. Uh, knit us together in love, Uh, grow us in love uh, for you and one another, and uh, Father, help us even to be growing in our discipleship of one another. Just pray that even through this class, perhaps um, new relationships uh, could be formed, and Father, we pray even now that you prepare our hearts and our minds for the main service, uh, that you be honored in that. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.